Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It's the second hour today of Mornings with Carmen, and uh, I hope you enjoyed, well, that last bit with Keith Getty as much as I did. If you missed it, you can always go back and pick up the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com a little later in the day. Um, I don't know about you, but it definitely feels as if things, disruptive things, not just things in general, but disruptive things are accelerating. Um, and if you're feeling that way, let me just confirm that um, in this particular case, your feelings are not lying to you. There, We are in the midst of what um, actuaries and researchers call a great acceleration. So we are in the speed up of, um, of digital, what's called disintermediation. Um, disintermediation is is the reality where all of those mediating institutions, all of those mediating individuals um, are removed, and we have more direct and therefore immediate access to everything. So if you think about the way that Amazon has been a disintermediating, inter, I don't even know, I'm going it's possible I'm making up a word here, disintermediating influence. No, I think that Amazon is a disintermediator. Yeah, they have eliminated the middleman. Might be another way of thinking about this. And so when you think about all of the ways that you now have direct access, um, and when you think about the ways in which COVID has accelerated disintermediation in relationship to, let's say, education. Uh, if a year ago, the some group of people, <clears throat> or the government in general, whatever, had had said, hey, hey, a year from now, we are going to um, have uh, probably the entire state of California and many other schools following them actually not doing in-person learning in the classroom. You're going to all you're going to all be educated at home. Um, and w- we would have said, um, no, we're not doing that. Well, COVID has been a disintermediating influence. Um, and so we now have wide scale uh, at home education Uh, Fewer and fewer kids going back to school. Apparently, 71% of parents don't want their kids to go back to school. I, by the way, am in the uh, 20-whatever percent would be left. Math is bad, first thing in the morning. All right. uh, We are also in a very disruptive time in terms of demographics, globalization, um, all all kinds of conversations related to race. Um, We've got all kinds of stuff going on in the culture an entire generation of leadership leaving uh, Washington, D.C., who will replace them, uh, rising diversity. Uh, and and then when we talk about politics, uh, if you've been watching the news and headlines related to the debt we are now in, it's really reached the place of no return. <laughs> so um, if you have been thinking to yourself, wow, we live in a much more disrupted time than uh, than before, 
um, I have good news for you and bad news. The good news is we have weathered seasons of this kind of disruption. Uh, 1968 was the last time. 1957 would have been the year before that. Um, but, uh, but you have to go all the way back to 1919 and the last pandemic and the end of a world war to really uh, return to the kind of um, disruptions that we're experiencing now, which means nobody who is an adult remembers um, going through it as an adult. And so it's our first time through it together. So if you're feeling um, those disruptions, just know God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's unchanged and unchanging, and he does have this. All we have to do is climb the staircase or take the steps of faith one step at a time. All right, next up, uh, I'm going to have a conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign about his brand new book, Compassion and Conviction. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Justin Gibney is back. Justin is an attorney. He's a political strategist. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we know Justin from the AND campaign, but you may uh, also know him from Georgia's 5th con- Congressional District, where he was elected to serve as a delegate for the Democratic National Convention in 2012 and 2016. Um, and Or maybe you know him from Vanderbilt football. I mean, like, right, people could know Justin from lots of environments, spaces and places. They're going to come. You're going to come to know him as an author. The book is Compassion and Conviction. Uh, Justin Gibney, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. It's um, it's fun to have you on. The book uh, will be released next week, but people can go ahead and pre-order it at Amazon. They can check it out at uh, InterVarsity Press, um, who has published it. Talk with us about the vision behind the book, compassion and excuse me, compassion and conviction, um, because what you guys really are laying out is a biblical framework for politics. That's it. I, I think the beauty of what we've tried to do is uh, we're not creating something out of nowhere. Uh, we 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 found that a lot of Christians were just struggling with politics on different levels, and I think the book works on different levels. Uh, there were those who who were thinking, should I even enter politics? Right? Is is this something where a Christian should be? We answer that question, and then we answer the question for those who have been uh, participating in politics: How do I do so more faithfully? Right? How do I, you know, not Uh, go along with my party or my ideological tribe when they're doing something wrong? How can I be distinctively Christian in the public square? And I think so far what people have appreciated it, uh, and you can see it in the reviews, is that it's really just articulating things that people have kind of been thinking and trying to grasp, and and we flesh those things out, but certainly through a biblical foundation. So, Justin, I think that um, when you talk about uh, either from the right or the left, if I don't I don't align with everything that my party um, is doing um, or advocating, or there are particular candidates who have my party's name attached to them, who, and I don't necessarily support those individuals. Talk with us about sort of the individualized approach to, um, to civic engagement today. Yeah, that's so good. I, I think the first thing I would say is if you feel like you don't completely fit fit in, good. Good for you. Uh, that means that you're feeling attention that the gospel brings uh, to this situation. I think the problem is those, whether they're on the right or the left, uh, 
that have no problem with anything their party does, that feel right at home in their party. Because as my friend uh, Michael Ware says, we are, we're not meant to be at home in either party. And so I think what people are realizing that feel that tension, that feel that discomfort, is that their identity should not be in their political persuasion. Their identity should not be in their political party or their ideological tribe. That unless we're able to put some distance between ourselves and our party, then we can't critique our party. Uh, once, once my, you know, once a criticism of my party becomes a criticism of me, I'm going to respond to it a lot differently. And so, as Christians, we have to take a step back and we have to put our biblical principle first, which means on both sides, you will have ample opportunities to critique and to correct uh, your political party. But in order to do that, you've got to step back. And you've got to be intellectually honest and be applying a biblical framework. And I think that's where it starts. Uh, we tell people, hey, list six things that your party gets wrong. And when you can do that and when you can go into a conversation with somebody on the other side and do that, then they might actually listen. Justin, when we, um, whenever we start down a conversational path related to how Christians engage in the political conversations of the day, it is my experience that people become almost instantly defensive instead of listening with a view toward actually responding to what the other person is saying. Uh, most people are already framing a a defense a defense against what is being said, or not even directly against what is being said. They're just looking to land their next, you know, successful punch. Help us redeem not just the content of our conversations, but help us redeem the way in which we have the conversations. Yeah, for sure. I I think that's a, a very good point. What I try to think about is, you know, when we walk into a conversation in a posture of kind of self defense, right? Uh, when we go into a conversation and our goal is to walk out of that conversation faultless, well, of course, that conversation isn't going to get anywhere, right? Uh, because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to prove the point that we're not responsible for any of the problems that are going on. And that's just not a Christ-like posture, right? When anybody came to Christ and, uh, with that attitude, they didn't walk away with that attitude, or certainly he he wasn't going to agree with them. So we have to be able to walk into these conversations not protecting a party, because if you if you knew what I know about both of these parties, they're not really worth protecting, but they are worth correcting. And so I think we have to go into those conversations with a posture not of self-defense, but a posture of self-examination, of saying, where could we have gotten this wrong? And again, as I said before, not taking a critique of your party or your ideological tribe as a critique of you personally, right? Because you are not your ideology. You are not your political party, at least if you're a Christian, you're not. Uh, And so we should be able to have those conversations and maybe even agree with the other side that, yeah, we do get it wrong there. And when you can do that, it opens up, it redeems, as you said, the conversation and opens up so much potential, especially within the body of Christ. That, you know, party should never get in the way of how we speak to one another and how we treat one another. But as we both know, it too often does. And I think it's going to take leadership and it's going to take discipleship uh, to help us change that. Leadership and discipleship, I think those are really good words. When we come back from a very brief break, I'm going to continue my conversation with Justin Gibney. We're talking today about uh, his brand new book written uh, with Michael Ware and Chris Butler. 
Uh, it is entitled Compassion and Conviction. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney, we're talking about a biblical framework for politics. The book is Compassion and Conviction. Um, Justin, um, maybe I'll make an observation and then you can just you can just amplify it, re- reflect upon it, correct me if necessary. Um, there are these not only competing narratives uh, operating in the culture today, um, they're very narrow perspectives and they get more and more narrow um, as somebody tries to smush someone else to fit into their their imagined mold like every conservative and anytime we say the word every right and then we use a term concert like conservative or progressive or liberal um, and it's undefined and the person um, who might self-describe in that way is not being allowed to define it like this is how the conflict really, in my experience, gets revved up. So anytime that I, well, you are an excellent example. Anytime you and I have a conversation on air, I immediately hear from people. It's not possible that Justin is a Christian because he's Democrat. And therefore, he's clearly not pro-life because, you know, that's all the Democrats are interested in is, uh, is taking the lives of the next generation through abortion. That is a conversational non-starter. Like, I don't even have the ability, I don't even quite know how to respond to that person other than just to say, you're wrong. Justin actually is pro-life. And yes, he happens to identify as Democrat, but he doesn't agree on every point with the platform of the party of which he is a part. Neither do I. Um, So this is, I think, the conversation you are seeking to enter into and the, the challenge that you're seeking to resolve um, and so am I right about that? And what's the viable alternative to just categorizing one another so narrowly? Yeah, I think the answer to that is uh, relationship and intellectual honesty. Part of the problem that we have with our narratives today is people don't know what narratives are for. They let the narratives kind of lead them. But really, narratives are just supposed to give context to the facts, right? Right. So if I came up to you and I said, man, I just saw somebody rip somebody's heart out their chest and, and you know, and put it in a, a bucket, you'd be like, well, that's terrible. Well, the, 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 the narrative and the context would be, well, he was a he was a heart surgeon. Right. That changes the conversation. But too often what we do today is our narratives carry us and we forget about the facts. So we become attached to a certain narrative whether it meets the facts or not. And then because we don't have relationship, because you don't have a relationship with a lot of people in the, uh, and not you personally, but someone might not have a relationship with a lot of the folks in the traditional black church who are Democrats and pro-life, then you wouldn't know that that's even possible. But because you, you know, because you attach, you, you, you attach your thinking to these narratives, which often are very intellectually dishonest and really just meant to push you in a certain direction and make you make certain assumptions. Well, then you you are off on on what you believe because you're not dealing with the facts. You're not dealing with the relationship. You're dealing with an intellectually dishonest narrative. And Christians have to do better than that. We have to build relationships and we have to uh, seek out things for ourselves rather than just assuming. Justin, in the last um, maybe couple of months, what is an assumption that someone has made about you or your viewpoint? Um, And then you had to, if you're like me, you had to have that moment of self-talk where you 
don't respond in the way you might um, be naturally inclined to respond. Um, but instead, you actually walked them through this kind of process that we're talking about. Can you give us an example? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think you you partially hit hit on it. I, I think people automatically assume that someone who cares about social justice is pushing a, a social gospel, right? Uh, and there's two ways I could respond to that. I could respond to that pridefully and just say, well, I don't have time. I'm not going to explain this anymore. I don't think that's Christian. And I think even on my side of the conversation, that's the wrong way to deal with it. I don't deal with it. And I'm not going to talk to you. Discipleship is about talking to people who don't agree with you. Um, and so sometimes you have to walk people through that and say, look, I'm very clear. I, I, I'm biblically literate. I understand that proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is our number one priority. However, if you look through the, the gospel, if you look through the Old Testament, that takes nothing away from our duty to do justice. Uh, if we have a God that is the arbiter and the creator of all rights and uh, and all freedoms that are that are worth having, then we have to do the work that he that he does. Uh, if that you know if his if his throne is is built on righteousness and justice, then we have to be about both. And some people sometimes you just have to walk people through that. It's hard. It's not easy. Uh, they're tough conversations, but we cannot give up on each other. And there's been a lot of things in the media about us giving up on each other, and I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that. Well, what do we think Jesus, how do we think Jesus would respond to that? And are, are we being prideful in how we address one another? So I'll make an observation um, that it's a privilege to get to the place where you push away from a table and walk away from a conversation. And I think that part of what white Americans, white Christians, do not understand about the concept of privilege is that it's a privilege to walk away from a conversation that another person cannot walk away from because it's their lived reality. Yeah, I think I think you make a good point. I mean, when you can live comfortably in the status quo, uh, when you're in a protected class that, okay, whether things change or not, it might be nice for them to change, but if they don't change, I'm going to be okay. Then that's right. You have the privilege to walk away really without the same consequences. Uh, a lot of people don't have that, you know, don't have that privilege. And so as Christians, we have to engage the conversation, not just from our perspective, but loving our neighbor enough to understand their perspective and stick it out. One of the problems that we have with kind of uh, cross-racial conversations is that one side can always take their ball and go home. So if there's ever a disagreement, well, I can leave, I can take my resources and everything else and leave you standing where you were before. And that's just not, it's just not Christ-like. Amen. Oh, amen. Hey, thanks for walking the journey uh, with me and with so many others. The book is Compassion and Conviction. Justin Gibney is one of three co-authors, um, and the book is available. So, Justin, thank you so much. You guys can find Justin at the end campaign. Um, we're just going to encourage you to check out the book, Compassion and Conviction. We'll be right back. Are you suffering today um, by comparison? Like, right? Uh, when you compare yourself to others, 
I mean, if you're like me, you'll just constantly suffer that comparison. And so my next guest, Shannon Popkin, is going to help us find new ways to um, live free of that kind of comparison. The book is Comparison Girl, Lessons from Jesus on Me-Free Living in a Measure-Up World. So we're going to learn how to measure up by pouring out. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Life turns every person upside down. No one escapes unscathed. Not the woman who discovers her husband is having an affair. Not the businessman whose investments are embezzled by a crooked colleague. Not the pastor who feels his faith shaken by questions of suffering and fear. We'd be foolish to think we're invulnerable, but we'd be just as foolish to think that evil wins the day. The Bible vibrates with the steady drumbeat of faith. God recycles evil into righteousness. Joseph, saddled with family rejection, slavery, and imprisonment, emerged triumphant, a hero of his generation. Among his final words to his brothers are these, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It's the repeated pattern in Scripture. Evil, God, good. Trust God. No, really trust Him. God will make good out of this mess. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, author Shannon Popkin. We are going to be talking about her latest book, Comparison Girl. You can visit Shannon and find all of her social media follows at shannonpopkin.com. Shannon, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. It's so great to be with you. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a delight to be with you as well. Um, let's talk about comparison. Let's talk about the struggles that we as women um, have and have had throughout our lives. Like this is not something, this is something that we grow up with and it is not something that we just naturally outgrow. Talk with us about comparison. Yeah. I mean, I think for most of us, we can remember as little kids, you know, we started comparing ourselves with the other girls or guys who are in our class or in our neighborhood or in our family and measuring ourselves against each other. And and you're right. We don't outgrow it. You know, I still want to compare myself with other moms the same way I did when my kids were newborns. And now my kids are grown. You know, it's like we just or I still want to compare myself at work or in the neighborhood or, you know, with what possessions I have. It's not something that we outgrow. And I think it's because we live in this measure up world. Like it's the world system that we live in. All right. So um, I'll, my audience will, my listeners will recognize this immediately because they know me well enough to know this, but I'm wondering if you've ever suffered the comparison of, uh, of those physical attributes where the world like literally offers women's measurements as a description of them. And then we compare ourselves like I am not, well, I am kind of shaped like, um, Kim Kardashian, but with some, with an extra layer of padding. So like I'm a padded version of Kim Kardashian. So, um, 
um, or J-Lo. So other women, like they, like we are described as like shaped like particular kinds of fruit. And then there's some yeah. fruit shapes that are, like we are compared not only to one another, but to ideas about perfection that have nothing to do with our heart and our mind and our soul and everything to do with our body. So I realize this is not like the point of the book, but can you, can you address the, the captivation we have with physical comparisons? Right. Or, I mean, I just want to add one more. I compare myself with what I looked like 10 years ago or as Mm. a teenager, right. Or what my body looked like before I had children. And, um, and that's not healthy either. Now, Jesus did not, there isn't a passage that I can point us to where Jesus sat down a group of women and talked about like, okay, let's talk about beauty, right? We don't have that, but we have lots of instances where Jesus talked about appearances and he told the the Pharisees who were all about what they looked like, their external packaging. And he said, you know, you're so invested in cleaning up the outside of the cup and inside you're just grimy. And I think sometimes when we are so obsessed with, with measuring up on the outside, we're ignoring this inner grime that Jesus wants to clean out. You know, he wants us to be free of that. And, and this me free mindset that he calls us to repeatedly of, you know, it's just really not about me. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's, if I can get my eyes off of myself long enough to see that there's a hurting world out there and, you know, the world doesn't really is not as is not nearly as invested as I am in my own appearance. The world needs to be served. And if I can just get my eyes off of myself long enough, get my eyes off of the scale and off of the, the camera on my phone long enough to focus on somebody other than myself. Oh my goodness. The freedom that comes from that. Do you agree, Carmen? Have you experienced that? Absolutely. And I, I love the image that you use, which is this you know, I can have my little Pyrex measuring cup, right? Uh-huh. I like, uh, I have I have a one cup one, I have a two cup one, I have a four cup one, right? So I'm going to use the two cup one because that's the one featured on the on the cover. Um, so I have this measuring cup. And if I'm constantly using that to try to measure myself against others, like measure this or this or this, I am missing the point of why God filled that cup up in the first place. And that is in order that it might be poured out. Talk with yeah. us about how this whole process is completely transformed by instead of focusing, you know, like what I'm measuring in the cup um, on trusting that when I pour it out, um, God's going to fill it up again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like if you picture your life as a measuring cup, we all have different amounts of different stuff in our cup, you know, right? Some of us have different, we have our, our unique gifts and we have our unique resources and um, we have our unique offerings to the world. And our enemy wants us to take our cup and put it next to somebody else's cup and always be focused on the lines. You know, how do I, how do I measure next to her? Or, or he, and he doesn't care whether we're measuring up or not measuring up, whether we're feeling superior or inferior, either way, he can pull us into this bondage of just hyper-focusing on the lines. And Jesus, when he came, you know, Jesus never said, don't compare yourself. But he, and, and in fact, Jesus told all sorts of comparison stories you know, mm-hmm. like the wise and the foolish builder or uh, the good Samaritan was different than the other two guys who passed around the hurting person or, you know, and he told real life, he, he called our attention to real life comparisons too. remember the widow who put her two coins in and Jesus said that she had given more than the others or Mary had chosen the better thing. And so Jesus was always 
you know, kind of pulling us actually into comparison, but he compares in a completely upside down opposite way. Jesus used comparison statements like the last will be first or the first will be last or the the greatest among you is the servant or whoever humbles herself will be exalted. And so Jesus is always calling our attention. It's like he wants us to see, you know, in the world, this is how things stack up. In the world, our eyes are always laser focused on the lines on the side of our measuring cup. But here in my kingdom, we're free of that. Here in my kingdom, here's where we focus. We put our attention on the spout. We look at what's in our cup and we ask ourselves, okay, I've been given this to serve the world, to serve the church. And so how can I tip my measuring cup? How can I pour myself out? How can I use what I've been uniquely gifted with to serve the people around me? And Carmen, this magical thing happens when we tip our measuring cups. You know, if you can kind of picture that Pyrex measuring cup tip to one side, when we tip our cup, suddenly the lines are irrelevant. They don't matter anymore. So when we're focused, we can't be both focused on the spout and focused on the line at the same time. You know, we're doing one or the other. So if we want to be done with this bondage of comparing ourselves and either feeling inferior or superior, what we need to do is start asking, what do I have to give? How can I serve? How can I follow Jesus and empty myself out rather than try and build myself up? So you'll appreciate this. My mom was a home ec teacher um, for a long time. And um, I remember distinctly having this conversation. Uh, I don't know how old I was, but I was pretty little. And so, I mean, I'm, we're sitting at our, at our kitchen counter and there's a measuring cup and it has like a quarter cup of fluid in it. Not very much, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and she said, how can you make that touch the top line? Mm. How can you make that? And, I, and, you know, so you could, you know, your answers could include, well, I have to add something to it. I have to get more. And she's like, no, no, it calls for a quarter cup. It only calls for a quarter cup. So how are you going to make that touch the top line? And to your point, the only way to do that is to tip it. Mm, that's beautiful. I mean, the I only it. way to make my quarter cup of whatever it is reach the top line is to pour it out. Yeah. So, and, you know, the beautiful awesome. thing is we're, we're not told to deny what's in our cup. You know, that great, maybe we only do have a quarter cup of something, but we're not, humility doesn't mean we deny what's in our cup. You know, humility is, Hey, I only have this much, but I'm willing to pour it out and I'm willing to let, see what God can do with it. You know, if we feel so intimidated, like I only have a quarter cup, well, we're not going to pour it out. But I love that imagery of like, it's never going to. So sometimes, in fact, frequently, we compare ourselves uh, to others or we compare our situation to the situation someone else is in, and we suffer by that comparison. Um, And so we're talking today with Shannon Popkin about her newest book, Comparison Girl. You could also check out uh, books she has written on control and influence. Um, Shannon, we've talked some about uh, what we might think of as like bad comparison, But comparison can be positive. So Jesus often reframes it in that way. Talk with us. uh, Talk with us some about good comparison. Yeah, sure. Now, I mean, most of the time we think of comparison as completely negative because it's we're so hurt by it. You know, it's so hard when we feel less than or and it can be damaging when we feel like we're more than, you know, it can be damaging to relationships. But if we can adopt Jesus's mindset where this me free mindset, where we're really just focused on how can I serve? 
you know, walking into a room full of people and rather than asking the question, how do I measure up? If I can focus on how do how, how can I serve here? Well, that's when comparison can be really positive because if I look around the room and I see someone who does things that I do, you know, we're, we're kind of similar. I can lean in and I can say, okay, she's got that covered. You know, she's also a teacher and you know, she's already teaching in there, that area. I'm more needed over here. And, and how am I, you know, a little bit different than her? Maybe she's called to the brokenhearted or the, the downtrodden and I'm called over here to exhort the strong. You know, how is it that I have been uniquely gifted? Um, how maybe my gifts are different than yours or maybe they're the same, but I'm called to a different, uh, a different a different way to serve. There's a verse in, in first Corinthians that talks about how we serve in there's a variety of ways that we serve and there's a variety of gifts that we have in, in the emphasis is variety, but then the same variety, the same, and it's the same Lord who empowers us all and who we're all serving. And so there is unity in the midst of diversity. So I think that this, this godly way of comparing is okay. What have I first been given and, and figuring out exactly what are my gifts? And I have to look around and compare to figure out how am I uniquely gifted and how can I serve in this uh, exact situation? How am I called to serve? So I appreciate that Comparison Girl is designed as a Bible study. I also appreciate that it's not like terribly long, right? It's a six-week Bible study. It's designed not only for individuals, but for groups. I really, I love that. Um, Take us to the conclusion, because, uh, wow, this is pretty convicting. We have, um, we recognize that, um, you know, that the the question is asked, what about him? But for women, you have turned that and you've said, Lord, what about her? Take take (laughs) us to the conclusion, because I think it's really powerful. Yeah. You know, the conclusion of the book talks about the time that Jesus returned and he's, he's having breakfast with his disciples and he, you know, he has this little private conversation with Peter and I kind of picture them taking a walk down the beach Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and they're talking about what's up ahead. And Jesus is telling Peter, you know what, you're going to leave the church, but there's, there's some trouble coming ahead. You know, you've got a cross to bear yourself. And Peter, you know, hearing about the end of his story, he turns and he's like, Lord, what about him? You know, what about John back there? John's kind of maybe tagging along uh, a little bit behind them. And Jesus says to Peter, what's that to you? What's that to you? You follow me. And I think each of us have to recognize that we, it's, it, it really doesn't matter, um, what God has called my brother or my sister to. What's that to you? You follow me. So like the thing that can distract me more in my race, you know, the race of faith is if I will look at the the lane beside me and if I'm suffering and she isn't, that is so distracting, Carmen. Don't you find like, I, I, it's like, if we're all suffering, I'm okay. But if I'm having a hardship and she isn't, <laughs> that is so hard for me. And I think Jesus says, you know what? Keep your eyes on me, run your race and know that I've got it all figured out. I will reward you. I see everything that you have given and and all the ways you're serving. And just follow me. Follow me. Is there one book, uh, one book, one chapter, Shannon, that um, sort of stands out in your mind? For me, it's the status chapter. Um, Mm. But is there a chapter in your mind that stands out that you want to talk a little bit about? Well, yeah, I love all of the chapters. Uh, We looked at 
the different ways that people compare. And we examined conversations that Jesus had with people who were comparing those things. So whether they were comparing their status or um, comparing their the way that they serve Jesus or comparing their wealth or comparing their um, appearances. So the one that was most convicting for me was the one on comparing wealth. Because, I, you know, Tim Keller says, if we're greedy, we probably don't know it. <laughs> you know, greed is not something we recognize in ourselves. And I just kept finding myself in that chapter, like, oh, my goodness, as an American, you know, woman with more disposable wealth than any other, you know, generation, I think we've got to come to terms with, we might be more greedy than we thought we were. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus just flips it on his head and he talks about putting our treasure in heaven and, and taking whatever is in my measuring cup and emptying it out and recognizing that every drop that I give away is being collected in a place that I cannot see. But, um, you know, I have this hope that that my father sees what I'm giving and that he will reward me. You know, Jesus promises that whatever we give up, we will be rewarded 100 fold, like 100 times. You know, I give a dollar and that turns into $100. Like that is a huge return on investment. And, and there's math involved. There's accounting involved. And and I it was so challenging for me to look at what I do with my money and just ask myself, do I live according to that sort of faith? <laughs> you know, mm. do I, do I live with an eternal perspective that this, this life is so short and heaven is eternal and whatever wealth that I am acquiring for heaven, it, it will be eternal. And, um, Jesus, like he used that imagery to motivate us. And so I, I want to be one of those who are motivated by what Jesus taught. I love it. Shannon Popkin, thank you so much for joining us today. She is the author of Comparison Girl. I do have a couple of copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 if Comparison Girl is a Bible study that would uh, that would bless you. Having heard our conversation today, check out Shannon's website, shannonpopkin.com. We'll be right back. All right, we have tilled a lot of soil and covered a lot of ground today. Let me encourage you, if you have not done so already, get yourself into the Word before you go out into the world that God so loves. Um, Thank you again for listening. Thank you for the ways in which you uh, support us prayerfully and financially. Um, And thank you for participating in our listener survey. You can text the word SURVEY to 877-933-2484, or you can just go online to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the Mornings with Carmen survey. We are looking for your feedback as we are planning out the next, I don't know, calendar year-ish of uh, of what we do here. So there you go. We'd love to hear from you. Listener survey. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484 or visit us online, MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day. God bless. All right, the world is going to be uh, full of efforts today to discourage. You be the opposite. Go be an encouragement to others. Thanks for joining me today. You can always grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.